Welcome to Minnesota Matters. I'm Scott Peterson, and I'm joined by MNN's Bill Werner, Tasha Radel, and Mike Grimm. We're going to delve into what's going on in the North Star State. If it matters in Minnesota, we've got it covered. This week, how the ECO Act will help save Minnesotans money while helping the environment, the unofficial kickoff to the summer camping season, and as cases of COVID drop, the Golden Gophers are back to helping kids in the community. But first... Leaders, as well as rank-and-file lawmakers at the Minnesota Legislature, continued working overtime on the state budget, but MNN's Bill Warner reports a story bigger than everything else also factored in. Scott, on the week that marked one year since the death of George Floyd, it is still up in the air how many additional police reform measures the Minnesota Legislature might pass, possibly during a special session likely in mid-June when lawmakers will try to finish the state budget. How's that for a lot of uncertainties? A group in the Democrat-controlled House, spearheaded by the People of Color and Indigenous Caucus, is pushing for another round of reforms much more extensive than Republicans who control the Senate are willing to move forward with. Senate Majority Leader Paul Gazelka reiterated this week that they are willing to look at additional police reforms. However... The focus right now should be ending the violence. I mean... You know, we, we think there should be a lot more uh, police officers on the streets in Minneapolis. Uh, I'm going to start pushing for whatever ways that we need to do to make sure that that can happen. We passed the most comprehensive police accountability bill ever in Minnesota last July, and we're still open to reforms. But right now, I'm focused on stopping the violence in Minneapolis, which means more police on the streets. Mr. Leader, along that line, and particularly after the shootings of these of the children in Minneapolis, there were a number of calls uh, from groups saying, we need to have changes in Minnesota's gun laws. Is that a possibility in any way, shape, or form in this special session? Changes in Minnesota gun laws is not the issue or the problem. It's criminals that have guns. It's, that's what we need to stop. A lot more people are buying guns in Minneapolis because they want to make sure that they can protect their family. And that's the absolute wrong direction. What's the right direction? We want to make sure that we get more police on the streets. Uh, A year ago, January, the Minneapolis police asked for 400 more police. They got very few. And since that time and after the death of George Floyd and all the defund the police, they're down about 300 police officers. So think of that, 700 swing, less police than what they thought they needed, and people wonder why crime is rampant, and that's what we need to focus on right now. House Speaker Democrat Melissa Hortman has a different view about controlling gun violence. When you look all over the world, and in countries that are similar to ours, Western Europe, for example, you find that we have more police, and we have more guns on the street than in any other society, and yet we have more gun deaths. So at a certain point, we have to look at the realistic ways that countries and localities have reduced gun violence, and those are through gun violence prevention measures. Those are currently off the table with the Republican majority in the Minnesota Senate, but we know that gun violence prevention measures make a difference in reducing gun violence. Is there any way of getting those on the table other than an electoral change, Madam Speaker? No. I appreciate your frankness. (laughs) (laughs) No, I I mean, you know, elections determine what the policy options are. 
things that are on the menu at the table this year in the legislature were determined by the results of the election in November 2020. And so while there's certainly things that we're working hard on and that we would like to be successful on, until we can have a democratically led Senate, we won't be able to accomplish those things. That's House Speaker Melissa Hortman. Republicans this week turned up political heat on the federal $300 a week top-off to unemployment benefits, which they say is discouraging people from returning to work to the point where many businesses cannot fill open positions. Wilmer Representative Dave Baker is proposing grants up to $2,000 for those who find jobs by July 1st and stay employed for at least 90 days. I'm embarrassed to have to write a bill like this to actually put money in front of this to get people to want to work because Minnesota has such a great work ethic already. Mazeppa Republican Steve Draskowski says the governor's COVID emergency order eliminated job search requirements for those drawing unemployment benefits. Simply, all we're doing policy right now is paying people not to work. Uh, with no requirements for them to actually show that they're trying to work. Deputy Employment and Economic Development Commissioner Blake Chafee responds that is not the case. Work search requirements uh, were never, I think I've heard the term, you know, turned off. Uh, that never happened in Minnesota. It did happen in some other states. Chafee says those receiving unemployment benefits each week must be able, available, and actively seeking work. We're talking to a lot of folks, and you know, what we're hearing from them is that they're they're looking for work, they're uh, trying to get back to work. But Chafee acknowledges that his department does not ask people for five job applications every week. And with the rate of new COVID vaccinations slowing down in Minnesota and the state still shy of its goal of 70% of Minnesotans 16 and over vaccinated by the 1st of July, Governor Tim Walls this week announced a rewards program. Kick off uh, maybe the next phase, if you could in our effort to put COVID-19 behind us. Um, this is our year shot at summer, Minnesota. First 100,000 Minnesotans age 12 and over who get their first dose of COVID vaccine between now and June 30th have options for a pass to the Great Lakes Aquarium in Duluth, Nickelodeon University, the Mall of America, Minnesota Zoo, Valley Fair, or a Northwoods League baseball game. Or people can choose an annual fishing license, a state park's annual pass, two state fair tickets, or a $25 Visa card. Scott? Thanks, Bill. Minnesota Matters returns after this. Minnesota Rural Electric Cooperatives. Who are we? We're your neighbors, co-workers, and friends. That's right, we live and work in the community, too. Because of that, we're committed to making sure our electric services stay reliable, affordable, and safe. Throughout the state, Minnesota electric co-ops work independent of each other, but with the same goal, provide power to Minnesota. You have so many other things to worry about. Your electricity isn't one of them. Minnesota Rural Electric Cooperatives, bringing power to the people of Minnesota. Considering an online pharmacy? Explore BeSafeRx to find useful information and resources to help you purchase medicines safely online. A safe online pharmacy requires a doctor's prescription has an address in the United States, has a licensed pharmacist, and is licensed by a state pharmacy board. It's best to stay away from online pharmacies that don't meet these criteria. Discover more helpful tips and resources at BeSafeRx. Go to fda.gov slash BeSafeRx. Welcome back to Minnesota Matters. I'm Scott Peterson. This week, Governor Walls signed the ECO Act into law. I spoke with Executive Director of the Minnesota Rural Electric Association, Joyce Pepin, and CEO at Wright Hennepin Electric Cooperative, Tim Sullivan, about why this is good news for Minnesotans. The ECO Act is a 
reform that's been needed for many years. And I think the biggest thing is that the ECO Act modernizes the state's outdated conservation improvement program. And that's important because it'll allow for more energy efficiency programs that reduce total energy, but um, uh, even if they increase electricity use. And um, that will happen by allowing for uh, switches between fuel sources, such as from propane to gas or electricity. And that type of switch will reduce the overall amount of energy use and greenhouse gas emissions and, and it'll uh, reduce consumer costs. So all wins for the state of Minnesota. So that's kind of the big thing, just modernization, recognizing the, the, the current state of the, the economy and, and the environment. In terms of energy efficiency, do you have a sense of just exactly uh, how significant this is going to be in terms of energy efficiency? I think it's I think it's going to be very significant because a lot of things aren't counted towards SIP that should be counted. And so since the state has focused really on uh, reducing electricity use until now, this expands the sector wide. And I think it's really important because the electricity sector, they've done a really great job of reducing carbon emissions. And it's really the only sector of the economy that's exceeded its decarbonization goals. So this will help electrify other sectors like transportation and um, and agriculture. And that really, I think, is essential to help allow states to meet its carbon reduction goals. So it's not just focusing on on one area. It's it's, uh, focusing on total end-use energy efficiencies. Does this in in some way even the playing field be between some of the uh, larger energy companies here in the Twin Cities and some of the cooperatives in Greater Minnesota? Does it somehow bring everybody into the same uh, into the same ballpark, so to speak? Um, I'm not sure if I'd use the term level for playing field. I think this is a benefit to all utilities because oh, the the problem is that this program really hasn't been tweaked since 2007. And so a lot of the things that counted towards the SIP program are really outdated and, and, it, and co-ops and, and all utilities really were limited in what they could use to, uh, uh, to put in their energy efficiency programs. And this, so this will allow for a whole bunch more programming that will really, I think, address the state's goal of reducing carbon overall. Um, and it does allow for fuel switching, which, um, you know, but they have to meet certain requirements to count towards fuel switching. Um, so, so I think that you know, some industries, the propane industry may not like it, but um, I think as a statewide goal, it is definitely on the mark. Uh, Tim, I wanted to ask you with regard to electric uh, cooperatives, how is this going to, to help consumers and owners save money and reduce their energy use? If you could talk about that in a little bit more specific Yeah, so it really, it really helps in two ways. So uh, what Joyce had talked about under the old Conservation Improvement Program, or SIP uh, is really the acronym, there were really two goals. You had to reduce kilowatt hour usage by 1.5%, but you also had to spend 1.5% of all your revenues to do that. So, and of course that 1.5% in our case, because we're about a hundred million dollar utility cost our members $1.5 million a year. So that's spend target. The idea that success is measured by how much money we spend has been removed. 
So that is no longer conservation that our members have to support in their rates. On the good side, though, as Joyce said, what the program allows you to do is count technologies, say like an, an electric, uh, electric vehicle or a ground or air source heat pump or uh, electric water heating that drive up kilowatt hour sales, but also reduce emissions and greenhouse gases and costs for consumers. So the, the good news for electric uh, cooperative consumers, some 1.7 million uh, of our fellow Minnesotans across the state is it helps them in both ways. Uh, cooperatives no longer have a spending target that may or may not lead to efficient uh, you, you know, en- energy conservation efforts. And the second way is to be able to reward genuinely positive energy efficiency moves but that also increase kilowatt hour sales. So it, it, it's, to my mind, a twofer, a double win uh, for electric cooperatives and electric cooperative consumers across the country. And in terms of when this is going to go into effect and when people can start benefiting from this, what kind of a timeline are we looking at? It starts immediately. The issue will be how quickly cooperatives can uh, come up to speed on passing along those incentives directly to consumers. So we've already done that at Right Hennepin. I know many other cooperatives have, for example, uh, passed along incentives for electric vehicle charging. So we offer, for example, an $800 uh, rebate on an electric vehicle charger. Uh, that's a terrific a benefit to consumers that also incense both higher uh, kilowatt hour use, but also lower uh, emissions and lower costs. Uh, similarly, for we have incentives for uh, electric heat and for electric water heating and for air and ground source heat pumps and a whole range of other technologies, as again, many other cooperatives do across the state. And taking that benefit, passing it along as an incentive to consumers to help us meet those conservation improvement program goals. So if, if uh, those incentives aren't already in place, and I, I, I think in many cases they may be, they will be coming soon. Um, the issue would be the only reason they wouldn't have started in the past is we would not have been able to count them towards our state-sponsored goals. Nonetheless, we proceeded with them oftentimes because they were good for consumers. This will only make that effort stronger, better, faster. And if we have listeners out there, uh, energy consumers out there that want to find out more about this and how they can save, where would you direct them? Call your local electric cooperative. Um, Again, 30% of our fellow Minnesotans are served by electric cooperatives across 44 distribution systems. They all have member service lines anxious to help, anxious to uh, promote uh, conservation and energy efficiency moves for our consumers. Uh, Again, electric cooperatives don't have a profit motive. Our motive is to help ensure that our membership uses energy wisely and smartly and efficiently and to help them go about doing that in a way that's a win-win for both the cooperative as a whole as well as for individual members and consumers. Thank you to my guests, the MREA's Joyce Pepin and Wright Hennepin Electric Cooperative CEO Tim Sullivan. Minnesota Matters returns after this.
Welcome back to Minnesota Matters. The unofficial kickoff to the summer camping season is here. Tasha Radel has more. It's hard to believe, but things are getting back to normal, and hundreds and hundreds of Minnesota families are heading out over the Memorial Day weekend. Joining me today is Rachel Hopper with the Minnesota DNR. Rachel, if I remember right, last year over Memorial Day weekend, state park campgrounds and other lodging facilities were closed. So uh, last year during um, the initial kind of phases of COVID, um, we had not had, we had to close our campgrounds um, at the beginning of the um, stay-at-home order. So the beginning of COVID, so between March and early June, our campsites were basically closed, our campgrounds were. We started to reopen um, with just a few sites opening up on Memorial Day weekend, and then we kind of had a rolling system of reopenings through the month of June. So we really weren't back open fully um, until about July, but even at that point, we were only really open at about 85% capacity. So we had kept some specific campsites closed due to social distancing requirements, and then some whole campground loops or whole campgrounds within a park uh, remained closed due to staffing constraints, um, which were associated with the state hiring freeze. Throughout the pandemic, I think getting outdoors was a brighter spot for many Minnesotans. And if I remember, uh, attendance was up throughout the state park system. Do you think this trend will continue this year and those perhaps first-time park users uh, will return? Well, we're very hopeful that that is the case. Um, we haven't done any study or analysis on it. We Every five years, we um, do a um, social science study of our state park uh, visitors. Um, obviously, it's a, on a volunteer basis. Um, but we, so that's when we collect information, demographic information and information on how frequent our visitors um, visit the system. So it's not, uh, <clears throat> it, it only happens every five years. So we won't know until um, a couple years out if there was a true kind of shift to first time users. But anecdotally, what we're hearing um, from park staff is they are um, meeting and talking to a lot of people that, that say that they're first time visitors to the state park um, system or our state trail system. And so we are hoping that COVID um, has allowed us kind of that silver lining that COVID um, has brought about is that people have largely reconnected with nature or connected to nature for the first time. It was one of the few things that was still open early on um, for people, and it was a way to spend time with uh, loved ones um, in a relatively safe environment. And so... Um, uh, our state parks and trails were definitely um, open and available to people, and people were seeking them out. We did have higher than normal visitation levels throughout all of last year. Our state park visitation was up 25% over the previous year, just so one-year increase of that much, and our state trail use was up about 50%. And so we know there was an increase in use. Um, anecdotally, we heard there was a lot of first-time users of our system. Rachel, with things looking more normal this year at state parks and with more people getting vaccinated, will park naturalists continue uh, the different programs that they offer? 
So I am happy to say that we will have more uh, buildings and facilities and services available than we did last year. Um, last year, it was fairly limited in what we could offer, um, largely when we were able to open up our campgrounds again um, and some of our lodging and overnight um, rentals. Um, we had a 24-hour gap between rentals, and then also we had largely our bathroom and shower buildings were open to the public, but that did vary um, unit by unit, and so that wasn't the case everywhere. Um, this year, all of our bathroom and shower buildings will be open again. All of our campgrounds are fully open again, as well as our lodging um, facilities. And then we have additional support facilities that will be opening. So in some cases, we'll see more ranger stations open. So those um, buildings, that, that kind of entrance building that you accompany when you first um, pull into a park. And then we will also have more trail centers and visitor centers open, and we will be resuming more naturalist programming than we were able to offer last year. Um, that will be dependent on whether there's a naturalist on site that has also not been redeployed to um, the Minnesota Department of Health to help with COVID-related efforts. Thanks again to my guest, Rachel Hopper, with the Minnesota DNR. For more information, you can head to dnr.state.mn.us. Back to you, Scott. Thank you, Tasha. Minnesota Matters will return after this. Did you know that more lives are lost to lung cancer each year than breast, colorectal, and prostate cancers combined? Lung cancer will claim more than 135,000 lives this year. But new treatments have improved survival for many with the disease and offer new hope for many more. So does lung cancer screening with low-dose chest CT. The American Cancer Society and most major professional organizations recommend that adults ages 55 and older with a long history of smoking, even if they have quit, should talk with their doctor to learn more about lung cancer screening. Lung cancer screening saves lives by detecting lung cancer early when it's more successfully treated. So, ask your doctor if lung cancer screening is right for you. And if you smoke, ask your doctor to help you quit. Visit the National Lung Cancer Roundtable website at nlcrt.org. That's nlcrt.org. Welcome back to Minnesota Matters. As the pandemic reduced in-person interaction, one of the things impacted was the ability for student-athletes at the U of M to help others. While many athletes used their voices over the past year to elevate social reform awareness, there was still a void in personal connection. For many years, Golden Gopher student-athletes have been visiting the on-campus Masonic Children's Hospital to see young patients and brighten their day, going to read books to elementary students at schools in Minnesota, hosting on-campus events for youth, and many other things. One of those athletes is Gopher football player Phil Howard of Minneapolis, who's looking forward to things getting back to normal where he can help young kids. He'll be entering his sixth season of playing football for Minnesota this fall and says impacting the community is something he feels a responsibility to do. You know, giving back uh, to the community always gives perspective, as Coach Fleck preaches all the time. And it's, I think it's important to give back to where you come from a lot of the time as well, whether that's inner city, you know, wherever that may be, because those kids see you uh, coming up and growing up and 
a lot of those kids want to be like you in a way. A lot of those kids look at you as a mentor in a way, you know, whether they do or do not, it gives them, it shows them that you can be something or whatever you want to do in life is achievable, you know, and not just, you know, the cliche of being an athlete, but whatever you want to do uh, in life is, like I said, uh, attainable. Do you think it may be too with the the trying year? You think about the last twelve months and between the pandemic and and social you know injustice that that particularly here in the Twin Cities we've been going through. How important it is uh, for for young uh, kids of color in particular to have uh, people like you to come read to them at elementary schools or to come to a football game and watch you play and excel and have you tell stories about the importance of stuff that might not even be related to sports. So personally speaking, we, we didn't get really get a lot of that when I was growing up. So I always think it's important to get somebody who at least like looks like you to come in and give back, like I said before. But it's important, important for the community to uplift the youth as well. You know, we can't just have just teachers trying to uplift them all the time. You got to have outside people come in who've been through it, who've seen it, who not saying teachers haven't, you know, what I'm saying been through anything or seen anything, but. You know the uh, the saying where you don't listen until somebody else shows you or tells you. That's how that's how I look at it, and I know that's how a lot of my teammates look at it. You know, uh, other guys who give back like Chris, D'Angelo, Carter, guys like that. Those guys look at it the same way. You know, we got to give back to the community and show these kids that you know there's things greater in life than just being average, you know? Rutgers hand. Surprising the Gophers have not been able to establish much of a ground game. To throw is the quarterback Langan. Wants to go deep over the middle of the field, and it's intercepted! Philip Howard in at cornerback makes the pick at the 27. It's pretty cool, too. So what was the reaction from kids when you'd bring a book in and read, and uh, maybe you would be with D'Angelo. You know, here's a 300-pound dude walking into a classroom with a bunch of third graders, and then you as a football player as well. What, what was the reaction you guys got traditionally when you'd go in it's, and read it, books? It, it, it's new every time you go in. So sometimes you get kids jumping all over you. <laughs> sometimes you get kids uh, wrestling with you. Uh, they try to, while you sit down in the circle, they try to run over and sit by you really quick. And then you always got the one one kid who, as soon as you walk in the door, who are you? <laughs> <laughs> but it, it's it's cute. It's funny. All these kids were such an inspiration to me because I see the future in them. You know, our our future is in their hands, and I see so much potential in those kids. So it's it's always fun to go back to them and see the excitement on their faces when we come in and read to them, play with them, talk to them, anything like that. So, you know, it's it's just a blessing to do what we do. Do you pick out the book you want to read, or do the kids pick out the book you want to read? Do you have any particular so message? They usually they usually have a few choices, and we kind of, last time I did it, we just kind of voted on one over at McComas. All right, so you've also coached some of these young guys uh, through the Skyhawks program. Take me through that a little bit. So Skyhawks was actually fun, too. Uh, I didn't know how hard it was like keeping the kids focused, but it's fun and hard at the same time because you got to make sure nobody is getting bored with, like, second graders and third graders and things like that. And then, you know, you know the attention span is just like, <laughs> they go off and start playing games with each other and things like that. So you kind of got to mix it up with drills and, you know, games and things like that. And <laughs> funny thing is me and Tyler used to do this together and he used to coordinate the games. 
and then I would coordinate the drills, and then we would switch. But me and him would actually jump in the games with the kids and play with them, and then they would have more fun with that too. That's go for football player Phil Howard with MNN Sports Director Mike Grimm. That is going to do it for us for this week. Thank you for listening. Please tune in again next week for Minnesota Matters on this MNN station.